You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado from our Easter series, Rise Up. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Amen. Good morning. Happy Easter. Welcome, Whitefields. Go ahead and take your seats. We're so glad that you joined us this morning. Truly, it's a, it's a good day. It's a day to rejoice. Let's begin by doing something that Christians have been doing literally for centuries. So I'm going to say, he's risen, and then you're going to say, he's risen indeed. All right, you ready? All right, he is risen. Let's do it again. He is risen. Amen. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, and because of that, that means that we have hope. There's hope for you and me. Today, this morning, we're going to be talking about that good news. What is that hope and how we can have it? Just a few things I want to say before we get started. We had a great outreach yesterday in the park. We had approximately somewhere between 1,500, 2,000 people come out, and we were able to share the gospel and meet a lot of people. It was a great thing. We're so thankful for all our volunteers who put that on. Another thing you can be looking forward to, you probably got a flyer when you came in. We're going to be starting a new series next Sunday. We've actually, if you turn on the backs of that flyer, we have the dates. And so the point of this series is we're going to be talking about the things that people commonly struggle with when, in regard to Christianity. What are the questions, the hurdles that they have in coming to fully embrace and believe in Christianity? Well, the reason we put the dates on the back of that flyer is because we want you to figure out, okay, what are, what are the ones that I personally struggle with? But also, maybe there's somebody that you know who struggles with one of those questions. And we'd love for you to have that date and know what is the day we're talking about that topic so that you can invite them to join you on that day. So we're looking forward to that. That'll begin next Sunday. Let's begin this morning by reading the words of Jesus, which will be the focus of our study this morning. This is from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We pray, Lord, that it wouldn't just be words on a page, but Lord, that these would be living words that we feel, that we experience, and Lord, that we experience the truth of in our own lives this morning. Lord, we ask that you would do a deep spiritual work in our midst and in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So when you're in line at the grocery store, do you ever take a look at the magazines that are in the rack there? And have you ever noticed the titles of those magazines? I was just thinking about this the other day. So for example, we've got magazines called like People Magazine. That's a magazine about living people, right? People who are alive. And we've got magazines like Country Living. And there's a one called Mac Life, like for those who are interested in that. And then we have Martha Stewart Living. So we have all these magazines and they have this common theme. It's the theme of life and living. People Magazine is a magazine about living people. We actually used to have one of the very first popular magazines was a magazine called Life Magazine. And there are other magazines. You have Women's Life, you have Men's Life. And it would seem that there's quite a big market out there for things pertaining to life. That's what people want. That's what people want. They want to live and they want to live well. And yet, part of life is death. And yet we don't have a lot of magazines about that. We don't have country dying, right? We have country living, but we don't have country dying. Like five ways to die well in the country in America, right? That's just not how it is. But death is part of life. So I read about this coroner and his email signature that's on the end of all his emails. Instead of saying uh, sincerely yours, he puts on there eventually yours, which is genuinely a creepy thing to do. But you can't really argue with him, right? Like he's right, yeah, eventually... That's going to be us. 
Because I, I don't know if you've seen the statistics on death, but they're not very encouraging. They're actually really discouraging, right? Like 10 out of 10 people die. That's somewhere around 100%. And yet, even though we know that death is an unavoidable part of life, yet we push back against it. We resist it. We don't want it. Again, we have all these magazines, you know, country living, but no country dying. So despite the fact that everybody dies, there is something within us that says that may be how it is, but that's not how it should be. It shouldn't be that way. And we see a perfect example of that feeling here in this story that's found in the Gospel of John, chapter 11. We're going to read through this and study through it. This chapter records an event that took place, something that all of us can relate to. It begins with, with something that maybe most of us have experienced, and that is that a loved one has died. This man's name was Lazarus, and he had family members, and his family members, upon his death, are absolutely devastated. They're crushed by it because they love him, and now he's gone. But Jesus shows up and he speaks into this situation. He acts in this situation. And what he shows them is that in him there is indeed hope beyond the grave. 400 years before Jesus, there was another man, another well-known man who was known as a great teacher and a good teacher. His name was Socrates. He was the great philosopher of Athens. And as Socrates lay on his deathbed, his friends gathered around him and they asked him that big existential question, the question that everybody wonders about and wants to know the answer to. The question was, is there life after death? If we die, will we live again? And Socrates, in all of his great wisdom, this was his answer. I hope so. That's the best you can do, Socrates. You've plumbed the depths of knowledge. You're the smartest person in the world. You have an answer for everything. But when it comes to the fate of your eternal soul, the best you can do is... I hope so. There's no assurance in that at all. Now compare that with Jesus. Jesus says this phrase that we just read. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, yet they shall live. And whoever believes in me shall never die. Let me walk you through this story. And we'll see what we learn and, and what it, how it pertains to our lives both now and for eternity. The title of today's message is Rise Up. And here in this story... We are going to see that Jesus calls this man Lazarus to rise up from the grave. And in this, we're going to see two ways in which God also calls us to rise up. First of all, he calls us to rise up in faith. And secondly, he calls us to rise up to new life. So let's talk about the first of those first. Rising up in faith. Let's read some of the story. Chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now there was a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So here's the story. There are these three siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. We've read about them before. They were close personal friends of Jesus. It would seem that whenever Jesus came into Bethlehem, that he would stay in Bethany, which was just kind of a village right outside of Bethlehem, and he would stay at this house where these people lived. And we've read about Mary and Martha before, but now we find out that they had a brother named Lazarus. And what we learn about Lazarus in verse 3, it says that he was someone whom Jesus loved. But in spite of the fact that Jesus loved him, in spite of the fact that he loved Jesus, Lazarus got sick. So Mary and Martha, they send word to Jesus through a messenger. Lazarus is sick. Jesus, we need you to come immediately because they believe that Jesus had the power to heal their brother. So look at what Jesus does and look at how he responds in verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place that he was. Well, that's kind of weird, isn't it? 
That's not what we would expect him to do. I mean, you'd expect that if Jesus loves this person and Jesus cares about this person, well, then when he hears that this person has a problem and needs help, that Jesus, what would he do? That he would jump, he would stop whatever he's doing, that he would immediately go down in order to help them with this problem and help Lazarus, but yet that's not what he did. It says he got the news, and then he waited around for two days. He waited two days. In fact, here's what's weirdest about this story. It says that it was because Jesus loved them that he waited. In other words, his delay was tied to his care for them. That's weird. That's kind of hard for us, I think, to wrap our heads around because that's not the way that we assume that it should work, right? We tend to think that, okay, if God loves me, if God cares about me, and if God can do anything, then surely he would want to save me. He would want to rescue me from bad things happening to me. And yet that's not what Jesus does in this story. In fact, he waits almost intentionally so that Lazarus will not get better. Let's see what happens. Jesus doesn't come right away. He doesn't heal Lazarus. And essentially, essentially Jesus allows Lazarus to die. Right? That, that's what happened. Could Jesus have healed him? Yes, but he didn't. He actually allowed Lazarus, his friend, the person he loved, to die. That's what it says. If you go down to verse 7, it says, After two days of waiting, then Jesus told his disciples, Come on, let's go down to Judea because our friend Lazarus has died. So Lazarus, here we have a man who loved Jesus, and Jesus loved him, and yet every man and woman whom Jesus loves eventually does get sick and dies. And sometimes, like Mary and Martha, we ask God to do things, and his answer is no. Or, or perhaps, not right now. And we might wonder, if God loves me, then why would he not give me what I'm asking for? If God loves me and he can do everything, then why wouldn't he give me what I'm asking for? Well, we see the answer to that question as we go through this chapter. What we see is that God had something bigger, something better in mind. They were asking for something, but God actually wanted to do something different. A different plan, something that was essentially bigger and better. Something different than what they had in mind. Let's continue on. We're going to go down to verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You, know, you can hear the heartbreak, the anguish, the disappointment in Martha's voice. And I can't help but believe that there was a sense in which she was frustrated, disappointed, perhaps even a little bit angry at Jesus. Because, you know, she's, she can do math. She knows when the messenger delivered the message. And she knows how long it takes for Jesus to get from where he was to her house. And she can do the math and she can realize that he didn't rush over immediately. That he took his time and that because he took his time, now her brother is dead. And she's wondering, where were you, Jesus? Why did you do that? Why did you do that? Why did you let this happen? How could you? Don't you care about us? Don't you love us? And Jesus reveals to her the reason why he waited. The reason is, he says, because he wants to help her rise up in faith. He wants to teach her that there is actually something bigger, something better, something more important than having all of your prayers answered in this life. There's something bigger, there's something more important than having your best life now. Check out the conversation that they have starting in verse 23. 
Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So here's what happens. Jesus is challenging Martha to rise up in faith, and she does. He says to Martha, Martha, your brother will rise again. She says, yeah, yeah, I know. Everybody's going to rise again on the last day. You see, the Jewish people had this belief that, that when everybody died, everybody went to this place called Sheol. Sheol was basically the dwelling place of the dead. Everybody went to Sheol. It wasn't hell. It wasn't heaven. It was basically a holding area. It was like a waiting room where you would wait, where dead people, every, all the dead people would go, and they would wait for judgment day. And Sheol, they believed, was divided into two parts. So on the one hand, you had Abraham's bosom. That was one part of Sheol. And this is where the righteous people went who died in faith. That was a place of comfort, Abraham's bosom. And then there was another part of Sheol, this dwelling place of the dead, which was called Hades. And Hades was where the unrighteous people went. It was a place of torment. And so no matter which part of Sheol you went to, again, it was basically a waiting room. It was a holding tank where your soul would wait until... Judgment Day. And on Judgment Day, everybody would be resurrected and everyone would then stand before God in order to be judged to receive their sentence, some to eternal heaven and some to eternal hell. And so when Jesus says to Martha, your brother will rise again, Martha's response is basically, yeah, 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 I know. Everybody's going to be resurrected. We're all going to stand before God on Judgment Day. But Jesus, that doesn't give me any hope right now. That doesn't make me feel any comfort right now about my brother. But Jesus says, no, Martha, you're not, you're not picking up what I'm putting down. You're not tracking with what I'm saying. I'm not just talking about how everyone will be raised again someday on Judgment Day. What I'm telling you is that I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, what I'm talking to you about is how a person can have eternal life. So that on Judgment Day, when you do stand before God, that he will say to you, you are righteous enter in to eternal joy he says I am the resurrection and the life I am the one who holds the keys to life and death I'm the one who has the power over life and death and Martha here's the way to receive that life that is truly life the life that lasts forever he says whoever believes in me though he die yet he shall live and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die in other words Jesus is saying look Martha I can heal your brother. I can raise him from the dead. But there's something that's even more important than that, Martha. There's something that's even bigger and more important than having everything that you want in this life here and now. What you need, what your brother needs, what all of us need is hope that goes beyond this life. Hope that goes beyond the grave. Because here's the thing, and I don't want to ruin the story for you, but I'm actually just going to tell you what happens at the end of the story. Um, Jesus is going to raise this guy from the dead, right? Super cool, incredible, amazing. But do you know what happened a few years later after this event? Lazarus got sick again, and, and God didn't heal him. Lazarus died again, but Jesus wasn't there that time to raise him from the dead. In other words, this was an incredible miracle, but it was only a temporary solution. It was only a temporary solution because Lazarus is going to die again. 
He needs something more than just a resuscitation. He needs something that goes beyond the grave. And before Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he wants to have this conversation with Martha to make sure she understands. Look, when what Lazarus needs more than anything else, what all of us need more than anything else is not just to be rescued from the problems of our lives. What we need is something bigger, something eternal. We need hope that goes beyond the grave. We need the hope and the promise of eternal life. Because here's the deal for us. Unless Jesus comes back soon, all of us are going to die. We are going to die someday. And we need a promise that no matter what happens to these bodies, we will never actually die. That's the promise that we have in Jesus. You know, Billy Graham, famous evangelist, he died earlier this year. And for many years, Billy Graham used to say this thing. He used to always say, you know, someday you will read in the news that Billy Graham has died, but don't believe a word of it. Because at that time, I will be more alive then than I am now. I will have only changed addresses. And I will be in the presence of God. You see, Billy Graham understood what Jesus was talking about here with Martha. That there's a hope, there's a promise which Jesus alone offers us. And that is life everlasting, life beyond the grave. And he tells her here and tells us how we can have it. How we can take hold of it. Here's what he says. He says, by believing in him. And then Jesus makes it personal. He asks her, do you believe? See, many people have this assumption that all you have to do to go to heaven, all you have to do to have eternal life is just die. That's it. And if you die, then everybody uh, who dies rests in peace. But what Jesus is telling us clearly right here is that that's not the case. Everybody dies, that's for sure. But not everybody lives forever. Not everybody goes to heaven. Not everybody has eternal life. In order to have eternal life, you have to believe in him. But what does that even mean? Like, how do you do that? Like, if I would say to you, hey, you got to believe in Jesus, you'd be like, okay, well, what? just explain to me what that means, because apparently this is a pretty important question. Apparently the stakes are pretty high, so I want to make sure that I get it right. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm doing what it means to believe in Jesus, because here's the thing. The word believe, we use that in a lot of different ways, right? Like uh, a few years ago in Cleveland, you know, the basketball team, Cavaliers, they wanted to win the championship, and everybody talked about believe land, right? Like they wanted to believe. If we just believe, if we just think positively, if we just have wishful thinking, then, then we can will it to happen, then maybe it'll, it'll happen. What that's talking about is a kind of positive thinking. That kind of believing, though, is not what Jesus is talking about. Not just a positive thinking, not just a imagining it in your mind and hoping that it will happen. Here, that's not what he's saying when he says, whoever believes in me, though they die, they will live. There's another way that we talk about believing. Sometimes we talk about, we use the word believing in the sense of believing that something exists, right? Like this past week, I was down in uh, Carlsbad, New Mexico. We went to Carlsbad Caverns for spring break, and we stayed in the town of Roswell. So Roswell is famous as the site of, in 1947, supposedly an alien spaceship crash-landed in Roswell. And so everywhere you go, there's this stuff about believing in aliens, right? Like bumper stickers that say, I believe. And people asking each other, like people asking each other in the hotel, do you believe in aliens? You know, do you believe that a UFO really landed here? Now that kind of believing is, again, a different kind of believing than what Jesus is talking about. That's about believing that something exists or that something actually happened. But again, that's not the kind of believing Jesus is talking about. Because think about it. Here he is standing here next to Martha, and he's saying, do you believe in me? Well, of course she believes that he exists. He's standing right there talking to her. So that's a different kind of belief that he's talking about. So what is the kind of belief that Jesus is talking about? The kind of belief that Jesus is talking about here is a personal belief kind of belief. 
It's the Greek word pisteo, pisteo, which means to trust in, to cling to, to rely upon, and to commit to. This is what we're talking about when we talk about faith, when we talk about believing in Jesus. This is the kind of belief that Jesus is talking about when he says, whoever believes in me, though they die, yet they will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. He's talking about trusting in him, relying on him, clinging to him, and committing yourself to him. The Bible talks about other people who had this kind of belief. It says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It wasn't just that Abraham believed that God existed. It was that he put his trust in God. He believed what God said. He clung to God. He relied on him. He committed himself to him. That's what we're talking about when we talk about believing. And Jesus then makes this extremely personal. He says, Martha, I'm talking to you right now. Do you believe? You see, in other words, it's not just enough to nod your head and say in theory, yes, people should believe. It's not enough to say, okay, I believe that that's true in general, and it's true for, for some people. The question is this, do you believe? And I want you to hear this this morning as Jesus asking you that very question, do you believe? Have you put your trust in Jesus, in who he is, and what he's done to save you? Are you clinging to him? Are you relying on him? Have you committed yourself to him? If the answer is yes, then when you stand before God on the last day, it will not be to face judgment. It will be to enter into the joy of your master into eternal life. And the reason is because Jesus took the judgment for you on the cross. If your answer is yes, then you can know that even if you die, you will in fact live. You will live and never truly die. But again, if your answer is no, then you need to know that you do not have that promise. You don't have that hope. But here's the good news, that today can be the day when you take that step and you can say, yes, I put my trust in Jesus because he took the judgment that I deserved on the cross so that I could be forgiven, so I could be redeemed, so my slate could be wiped clean. He took my flawed record and in return he gave me his perfect record. It doesn't make any sense why anyone would do that unless it's because they love you. And that is indeed the case, that he absolutely does love you. And so today, if you will look to Jesus, if you will consider the cross and what he did for you, and if you will say, yes, I believe, I will look to him, I will trust in him and cling to him, rely on him and commit myself to him, if you do that, then you will have this promise of life that goes beyond the grave. That's what Martha did. Look at verse 27. She says, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. But check out what happens next in verse 28. We read this. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here, and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Let's go to verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same thing that her sister said. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. You know, that's the shortest verse in the Bible. Two words. Jesus wept. It's been said that these are words that you are not meant to just read. These are words that you are meant to feel. Jesus wept. But it is a bit odd, isn't it? 
I already told you what's going to happen at the end of the story. Jesus is going to raise this guy from the dead. Now I know, right, if there's a problem, I can get frustrated. But if I know the solution to the problem, and it's, you know, relatively an easy fix for me, then I don't get too emotional over it, right? I say, okay, well, I'll just fix the problem and then get on with it and we can all be happy. And so you wonder, well, why doesn't Jesus do that? Why is he weeping? Why is he crying if he knows that he can fix this situation and he's about to fix this situation in like two minutes' time? So, so why, why is he crying? And here's why. Because Jesus is coming face to face with the reality of death and loss and suffering. And it absolutely breaks his heart. You see, what this shows us, he's not an apathetic God. He's not a stoic God who's detached and hard and unfeeling. No, he is a God who weeps with us over the pain and suffering that we ourselves experience in this life. In fact, his heart was so broken over it that he did something about it. He came into the world. This is why he came into the world, so that he could abolish sin and death forever. That's what the Bible says in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, that our Savior, Jesus Christ, abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So here's Jesus. He knows how to fix this problem, but here he is coming face to face with death and loss. He sees people around him grieving and hurting and crying, and he weeps along with them. Because even though death is part of life, we still have this sense that it should not be so, that there's something inherently wrong about it. It's unnatural. Anytime we hear that someone's died, even if it's someone we didn't know, even if it's a person, no matter how old they are, or no matter how sick they were, every time we hear about someone passing away, isn't there a pang in your heart that says, no, no, that's, that's not right. There's something wrong about it. Why is it that people react so passionately to the issue of death? Why did Jesus weep when he faced death, even though he knew that he was about to raise this man to life? The reason is because it was never meant to be this way. God didn't create us for darkness and death. He created us for light and life with him forever. Death, in other words, is an intrusion. It is a foreign element that has come into God's good creation. And Jesus here, seeing it, coming close to it, he weeps over it in the face of brokenness in our world. He weeps over it. But check out what he does next in verse 38. It says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. You guys ever read the Old King James Version? I love how the Old King James Version puts it. Martha says, Lord, we shouldn't open the grave, because by this time he stinketh. Just a great old King James word. He stinketh. In other words, here's the point. At this point, he's not just sort of dead. He's like super dead. Like really, really dead. Like he's not mostly dead. He's all the way dead. But okay, let's see what happens next. Verse 41. So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, saying, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Incredible, right? Absolutely incredible. What Jesus does here for Lazarus is a picture of what God will do for all of us who believe in him. Lazarus is a picture of you and me. See, Lazarus, he was dead, but we 
the Bible tells us, are dead spiritually. Not just mostly dead, but totally dead. I don't know if you ever tried to ask a dead person to help you do something, but they're super bad helpers because they can't do anything. There's nothing that we can do to help ourselves, to save ourselves. But then Jesus comes, and because he loves you, because he loves me, he calls us out of death. He calls us to rise up to new life in him. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And that is what he will do for you when you put your faith in him. So in this story, here's what we see. First, a challenge to rise up in faith. And secondly, we see a challenge to rise up in new life. Let me ask you this. Why did Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead if he knew that Lazarus was just going to die again anyway? The reason is because God had a plan for Lazarus's life. For those years that he would be alive, God had a plan. And let me tell you this, God has a plan for your life as well. Very briefly, here's the plan that God has for Lazarus's life and for your life as well. Number one, it's a life to live. And number two, it's a testimony to share. A life to live. The significance of Jesus' resurrection is that he broke the power of death. And because of that, we can have the hope of eternal life. And so let me ask you this. If we have been brought from death to life in Jesus, how then should we live? The Bible tells it this way. It says that because of this, therefore, we should walk in newness of life. We should put away the things that pertain to our old life, the things that pertain to darkness and death, and we should walk now in the things that pertain to light and life. In Ephesians chapter 2, we're told that God has made us alive and he has prepared for us good works that we should walk in them. Not only does God have a life for you to live, but he has a testimony for you to share. That's the second part. Look at what happened to Lazarus in the next chapter. We read this in chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. The chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. In other words, Lazarus had this incredible story to share of what God had done in his life, how God had brought him from death into life. And as he shared that story, many people came and believed in Jesus because of his story. I want you to know this. If you have been brought from death to life through Jesus, then you have a story to share as well. You have a story that is yours alone. It's the story of how God has worked in your life, how God has brought you to that place of belief and brought you from death and into life. And one of the most powerful things you can do is to tell that story. Tell it to anyone who will listen. Tell that story. Share your story with other people of how God led you to this place of believing in him and bringing you from death into life. It says that many people heard Lazarus' story and they believed in Jesus too. Now come back to chapter 11 and I want to show you one thing which I think is maybe the most incredible part of the whole story. It's the most unbelievable part to me. Check out what it says right after we read that Lazarus was raised from the dead. Verse 45 and 46. Many of the Jews therefore believed, but some of them went and they didn't believe. So it says many of the Jews therefore who had come with Mary and seen what Jesus did believed in him, but others didn't. Others went and told the Pharisees what had happened. To me, this is the most incredible part of the story. This is the part of the story that, that's maybe the hardest to believe of the whole story. That many people saw this and believed, but not everybody. How does that work? In other words, there were people who literally saw a dead guy raised from the grave unquestionably, irrefutably. They didn't doubt whether he had actually been raised from the grave, but they still didn't put their faith in Jesus. I don't get that. How do you do that? How do you see something like this and still not believe? And yet that's exactly what happened to them. And it brings us back to Jesus' question to Martha, which is also his question to us today. It's the question all of us need to answer. Do you believe? Will you put your faith 
in Jesus Christ today? Will you trust him? Will you rely on him? Will you cling to him? Will you commit yourself to him? If you do, then like Lazarus, God will raise you from death to life. He has a life for you to live. He has a testimony for you to share. And when your time on this planet is over, you will have the hope and the confidence that though you die, yet you will live. And whoever believes in him will never die. Do you believe this? Whether it's for the first time or the 500th time, I want to urge you this Easter morning to look to Jesus and believe in him today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we come to you with thankfulness in our hearts for what you've done. Thankfulness that you have abolished death through your resurrection from the dead. And Lord, as we celebrate that and remember that this morning, Lord, I pray that this would be a day when we do exactly what you ask us to do. Lord, that we put our faith, we put our belief in you. Not just that we believe that you did this or that you existed, but belief that says, yes, I trust in it personally. I rely on it. I cling to it. And I commit myself to you. But I pray for any one of us here today who needs to take that step. Or maybe there are some of us who just need to renew. We've done it in the past, but today needs to be a new day. Thank you, Lord, that every day with you can be a new day. So as we sing this last song, Lord, we celebrate your resurrection. And thank you for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.